For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Gridiron Show in association with Touchdown Trips getting you in the game. And after a historically bad week seven in the NFL, we're going to change things up a little bit today. Me, Ollie and Matt have picked our three big takeaways and we're going to talk through them. Plus, we're going to be joined by Ben Mortimer to look forward to Thursday Night Football from Touchdown Trips. You're listening to the Gridiron Show. Well, hello. Welcome to the Gridiron Show in association with Touchdown Trips, getting you in the game. And we will have Ben Mortimer on from Touchdown Trips later in the show because we do head off to Houston, Texas, baby, in about eight or nine days' time. So very, very excited about this. Uh, really looking forward to it. Uh, we've That's coming up uh, later in the show. But what we're going to do, because week seven had four teams being shut out, that's the first time that's happened since 1980-something in a week. I did have this written down, but I can't get on the internet. Um, there were seven teams who didn't score an offensive touchdown in the same weekend. That's not happened since 2001. And to me, and the other thing is, in the Gridiron Picks game, the winners of the week, including Matt Sherry, had 14 correct picks. What? I had 13. Like, the first five pages of the board are people with 14, 13, 12, which just shows you there was a real lack of upsets as well. It was all kind of went with type. So, after the best Thursday night football game we've seen maybe in years to kick off the weekend, followed by a cracking Monday night football game, that Sunday Slater games did not live up to expectations. And so what we're going to do to just mix things up a bit, we thought about doing mid-season power rankings. We realised that was a bit of hard work and a little bit early. We're going to do, me, Ollie and Matt have all taken our three big takeaways at this point in the season. They can be from this week or they can be from the season as a whole. And we're just going to talk through those takeaways. So plenty for us to get to. Uh, Ollie Hunter is here. Matt Sherry on the line as well. Hello, boys. Hey. <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed okay. that. That was weird. But I, I really liked it a lot. Uh, how it are we doing, like guys? It's, that would have been Tom Brady's, hey. uh, sorry, Brady's first word. Oh. Has Brady, how old is his little Tom now? He's 11 months old, nearly. Oh, so he won't be talking. Not ready for them first words yet. He's he's kind of babbling, which sounds a lot like mama. A lot. Sounds a lot so, like his dad, Ben. Oh, you got there first. Absolutely. Great work. Yeah, I, one of us was going to have to come out with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, guys, I'm thinking... He's also, sorry, go on. He's also crying quite loudly now in the background, as you may be able to hear you. That's devastating. Devastating news. What have you done to your child? You're out of order. Nothing. I think he's going for his afternoon nap, which is always a cause for consternation, but ultimately it's rewarding for him a, when he gets a highlight, into it. A highlight of the day is what you're saying. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I, I've decided, guys, that uh, I need to start a spin-off podcast. Oh, yeah? <laughs> the pure reason for this <laughs> is that 
there was there was a conversation. So we got into that quarterback conversation on Sunday, which we're going to get into in the show. But then there was a separate conversation within a group that I'm in about whether cucumbers are a pointless part of a sandwich, an unnecessary addition, or whether they add something genuine. Uh, and I put it out as a Twitter poll, and it went 54% towards people who don't like cucumber, think it's pointless, whatever. So I just, like, quote-tweeted saying, uh, you know, not quite as decisive as I'd like, but a better result than Brexit, at least. So uh, we'll uh, we'll look at the will of the people. And the will of the people was decided that it should be the title of my new podcast, where basically I look at people's micro-fascisms. So tube etiquette, uh, grammar Nazism, uh, and... and this spun wildly, wildly out of control uh, to the point where we've got so many great ideas for a new podcast. So we've got That Will Do. Each episode, listeners send in suggestions. They get put in a hat. I draw them out and I have to do whatever the suggestion says on there. Yeah, yeah. The Best Will in the World, where I meet other people called Will, but they're all going to be better than human beings than me. That's the idea. Yeah. Uh, will I am where I meet famous other wills and find out uh, famous wills, not famous other wills. Oh, you're an <laughs> absolute disgrace. <laughs> oh, damn it. One of the, uh... <laughs> oh, that, that's disgusting. Oh, that's, God, that's, that, that's probably the worst. That's the worst thing, worst thing that you've ever that. done. Last will and testament. I look at people who are left large inheritances and find out what they've done with it. There's so many great ones. I never realised how many ones there are. Against her will, that's not as bad as it sounds. That really does. (laughs) You can't even have that. This is a family show and you bring that up. That's where Sarah finds people who are like at the top of their field and and pits me against them. Uh, Dixon suggested the first episode should be Anthony Joshua. I'm not so keen on that. But... Uh, yeah, there's loads of them. Why can't Dixon Willow the Whisper? <laughs> <laughs> a one-off challenge where I tried to set the Guinness World Record for eating the most Whisper bars in an hour. There's so many great ones. Yeah. So many great ones. I, like, I, like I don't that. really see mm. where the one-off challenge fits into the whole will name thing. Well, it's against her will. Oh, which one? The, the Willow the Whisper. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't really work as a, as a lengthy podcast. Yeah. There's not many episodes in it, but, you know, it's all good. Could be a nice documentary, couldn't it? Will be the death of you. Will travels to Switzerland for a week-long outside broadcast where he mans the Dignitas Clinic. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, Who came up with all of these? (laughs) A lot of them were me and Dixon having a very long conversation on Twitter. It was all all a bit much. But I I wanted to share with The only way that you generally like talking to Dixon is when it's about you. Uh, Well, no, the only way I like talking to Dixon is when it's via electronic forms and I don't have to see him in person. Okay, yeah, great point. It's kind of perfect. Uh, Shall we get to our big thoughts and topics? I haven't come up with a really clever idea for this. Has anyone got an idea for a good name? Uh, I hadn't really thought of that either. No. Great. No. Uh, Let's just do it then. This is our nine takeaways. Our big three things. Our three people's big three things. I've got it. I'm workshopping it. We're going to triple down. Yeah, that'll do. We're going to triple down. Well, imagine a triple down burger with three oh, chicken breasts. I thought we breasts. It the triple option, given that's a NFL slash football tab. Triple option down. No, that doesn't work. No, uh, triple down option? It's either triple down or triple option. I quite like triple oh, down it because be, it reminds oh, it me of burgers. three downs. Triple option? Three downs, yeah. But you feel like maybe maybe you have three downs and then a punt, and then you just have one last thought at the end of the show, which is <laughs> just a, a random thought that is the punt. <laughs> quite like that. Because it's a three and out. Yeah. Um, anyway. Three and three out? out. <laughs> <laughs> there we go three and out we've come up with it well done guys up top 
We've done brilliantly there. That's so sweaty, your hands. I'm so hot. It's such a weirdly hot day. Is the music channel up at the moment? Uh, yes. So you're both famous and hot. Three and out! Great. Who would like to start? Um, this has been really well workshopped. I'm going to go to Matt Sherry first. Matt Sherry, where would you like to start with your first down in three and out? I would like to start with the double Super Bowl hangover that we've seen and kind of the contrast and fortunes of those teams in that, one, I think the New England Patriots, based on Sunday night, where I was not at all confident of them winning, as I told you guys on TalkSport on Sunday. But I think what I've learned ultimately is maybe the Patriots did the very unpaid thing at the start of this season and kind of felt themselves a little bit and maybe didn't take his opponents as seriously as they have in the past. And then suddenly when a big game is in town, Sunday night football, they just look like the same old Patriots again. So I think there was a little bit of a Super Bowl hangover for the Patriots. And, and when you look back at it, understandable given the nature of that victory. But I think I now look at the Patriots and, and in complete contrast to a few days ago, and I did say this had probably happened, but I now look at them as the class of the NFL again. And, I, I'm, and that I'm not... is despite part two. Well, no, let's, is... let's talk the Patriots first. Let's let's talk the Patriots right. first. Because the, the fact is, is that, yes, the Patriots uh, did have a good performance on Sunday night. And Tom Brady was excellent. He's moving the, the way he moved the pocket, the way he moved in the pocket. The running game got going, the running, which yeah, was the key. It was, it was a really good performance, particularly on that side of the ball. However, the reason that we did our top five in a power ranks on the NFL, on the uh, Nat Coombe show yesterday, the reason I'm not quite ready to put the Patriots atop of it yet is that the play calling and decision making from those Atlanta Falcons was so dreadful that I'm not quite ready to buy into the Patriots defense yet. I just want to see the Patriots defense do it against a good team before I start going, yeah, they are at least competitive enough to take them all the way through the playoffs. The opponent to me is irrelevant because of what the issues were on defence, which was bizarre breakdowns in communication So and everything else. So the way I look at it is, how did the defence execute? I mean, execution is execution regardless of the opponent. And and that's been the Patriots' issue. And it was outstanding on Sunday night, on, in all forms, in in all, on, in all phases as well. I mean, there were superb on special teams as well. And, and my that my feeling ultimately is that the Patriots are now going to round into mid-season form and are probably more like the team than we thought that the, we thought they were at the start of the season than the team that maybe I thought they were last week. So, so moving on to the second part of that, then the Atlanta Falcons and their Super Bowl hangover. Now, I yeah. I watched the. Um... I watched the 49ers back for some bizarre reason. I don't know why it brought me to do that. But I kind of, the more I watched it, the more I realised that Carl Shanahan, even when it was a bad performance this weekend, this was such a big feature last year. Almost, I, I reckon on 65, 70% of their snaps, somebody's going in motion. It's a tight yeah. end, it's a running back, it's whoever it might be. And what that's doing for your quarterback is allowing them to discover whether or not the defence is in man or zone. Unless they were a really good disguised defense it gives them that and for a quarterback like Matt Ryan who does have the basic skills but maybe not the intangibles you get from the very top tier guys that gives him a lot more to work with he has less reads he might only have to read one side of the field like he knows who might be open it makes it much easier for him and when I watched the Falcons game on Sunday night when we were doing it live 
they do nothing like that. There's no motion. There's no intelligence in the offense. Before you even get to the play calling itself, and we can all look at that third and one going for the pass, fourth and one going for the jet sweep, without even a running back in the backfield to try and fool the defense and get them to bite on the run. It just, uh, the way that they're running the offense right now, even with the quality of the pieces they've got, is just not conducive with winning football games. It isn't, but then, I mean, what did they expect to happen? They've basically brought a guy in from college to be the coordinator who is being asked to run the system of the previous coordinator when all of the staff with the previous coordinator have either gone to Los Angeles or to San Francisco with him. And that that ultimately comes to the point that I'd make, which is if this Atlanta season heads in the direction that it could head in, they need to look seriously at the, at the whole setup in the summer. And I'm talking not taking off the table, looking for a new head coach. And the reason for that is ultimately extremely knee-jerk. But the reason I say it is... Hysterical! Hysterical! Tight spiral balls. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the second one wasn't meant to be there, but it works. <laughs> Carry on. The, the, the reason I say it is because I am starting to wonder how much Dan Quinn with a lot of the questionable stuff that happened in that Super Bowl, that was the thing we're, we were always going to be looking for this year, has lost that locker room. And to me, the fourth and seven, fourth and eight plays, which were both utterly ridiculous. I mean, I've heard some people say the first one was acceptable, and I'd agree if it was like fourth and three, but it was fourth and seven or fourth and eight. I thought it was fourth were... and fourth and five or fourth and six, the first one. No, it and was... And the second uh, one was... was fourth and seven. One of them was definitely shorter than seven. No, the, the short one was the fourth and the goal. The second one. Uh, no, was, no, yeah. Which that's... was about four and four or something. No, the... Yeah, the, the, the first two in midfield, I'm pretty sure were fourth and seven, fourth and eight, something like that. But ultimately, they were ridiculous. And what, what it said to me, especially the quotes from Dan Quinn afterwards about how he did it because he really trusts his team and he believes in them and... I just wonder whether that's a head coach desperately trying to claw back some kind of cashier with his with his locker I, I room. I think it was the Patriots that, being so in their headspace. That's what I thought it was. Uh, see, I, 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 I think it's a combination of that and and the fact that I just think he's trying to prove something to the players and he knows he's they've checked out a bit. And ultimately, you could understand it if they've checked out a bit because if I was a player on that team where I basically did everything to win the Super Bowl and... and had it taken away basically by bad decisions from me, I would be looking at them and I wouldn't be looking at them the same way. So I think Atlanta, in their current form, you may not hear from them again as a, as a Super Bowl team. And they probably bounce back and win it this year and I look like an idiot. But based on the evidence we've seen so far, I think if it continues on this path, they need to look at everything because it's not easy to rescue that back. I mean, the Seahawks kind of do it, but ultimately... They haven't been near the Super Bowl since that play. They've been competitive and they've got to the playoffs each year. And I, I ultimately think Pete Carroll's good enough to sort it out in Seattle. But you look at what's happened to them since, and I would say that what happened to Atlanta was 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 worse even than the Seattle one. Yeah, I I agree to most of an extent with that. Um, uh, shall, it was fourth and seven, then fourth and sixth later in the game. I'm sure it was shorter than seven, but it was only one yard shorter. Uh, let's move on and look at our second topic. Uh, I'm going to take up this one, Ollie, because uh, okay. it kind of bleeds into your first one. I want to talk about Monday night football to an extent and the Philadelphia Eagles, but most specifically the mania surrounding Carson Wentz 
this this past weekend. Now we had a conversation on our WhatsApp, which then bled onto Talk Sports about which of these quarterbacks. After Jared Goff put up a decent performance uh, at Twickenham, and we're going to get to that kind of separately, but who you take out of the Prescotts, the Wentz, etc. of the world. Carson Wentz has now back-to-back on primetime, put up performances which make him look like a quarterback way, way beyond his years. He's making plays which, you look at the 66-yard, well, 66-yard in the air, it was whatever it was, 80, 78, whatever it was, the, the touchdown throw where the ball went 66 yards in the air. And that was one of the best throws I've seen from anyone in the last couple of years in terms of both the touch, the spiral, the or everything that went into that. You then look at, obviously, the sack escape everyone's going to talk about. But actually, it was the drive where Jason Peters went down, which was a huge thing and is a potential huge thing for the Eagles going forward. And it's the reason why we can be excited right now, but it could be the sort of injury that kind of derails their season a little bit. He continued for the rest of that drive to, to climb the pocket, something they worked on massively this year, to keep his eyes downfield, to make plays under pressure, to make good decisions under pressure, to work through his reads. And these last two games are where I've gone from, OK, Carson Wentz is a guy with talent, but I'm not seeing it translate to where it's really clicked with Carson Wentz for me. And that's why right now, if you asked me that same question we were discussing on Sunday, I would be Carson Wentz with a bullet based on what I've seen the past two weeks. I mean, yeah. It- uh, the, the, the way that he's playing is is lights out. It really is the way he's going through his his reads on the field. The it's quickness of getting the, the ball the MVP out. The of... talk is ludicrous because it's so early in the season, and I don't think he's been the best over seven weeks. And actually, it's probably Tom Brady at the moment. But just on the last two weeks alone, you can see why yeah. people are getting that excited because it's been that good. Yeah, yeah. Sherry, you agree? He's been absolutely spectacular. And I mean, from an unbiased perspective, Brady, to me, this year is looking better than he ever has. I've already said that. And it is a biased perspective because you said it. I've decided. But listen, I I think there's a couple of things. The prisoner of the moment hyperbole that you see in the NFL is like nothing else. I mean, I saw saw an Eagles beat writer tweet that Wentz and Zach Ertz were the best quarterback tight end combination in the NFL, which is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. But... And, I think, and Ertz, I think Ertz might be the number three tight end in the NFL right now. Yeah, and the Patriots have both the number one quarterback and the number one tight end with a seven, eight-year connection in the bank. So, I mean, that that's what I mean about people just living the moment. And I think people are living in the moment a bit in this discussion because Wentz has been awesome the last two weeks. His career to this point, over exactly the same sample size, is not in the same class as Dak Prescott's. I mean, but I but I, 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 dis- I disagree with that in terms of what he has personally put on the field with what he's got around him. Well, he he has shown Prescott me he's shown year. me more than Dak Prescott has because Dak Prescott has had. And uh, don't get me wrong, it's a one one a situation. But what he has shown yeah, me is, as an individual. Is. In terms of what he has done to elevate the players around him and to elevate the play around him in moments where it's all going wrong, which doesn't happen for Dak Prescott very often at all. Because actually, Dak Prescott, the last couple of weeks, with you look at his performance, I mean, the 49ers is a bit of a, particularly with Eric Armstead now out, is a bit of a you know misnomer as to how you take that as a situation. But you look at his game against the Packers in the week before where they played, somebody else and put 30 points up. He was brilliant those two weeks, but he is put in a position to be brilliant. That's only really started to happen more for uh, for Wentz as that line has settled this season. And I have seen more from him that says that if you took him and put him on a currently bad NFL team, 
he would elevate their play more than Dak Prescott would. See, I, I, I just disagree with that because I think this Eagles team is, is beyond loaded. I mean, they've got maybe the best, certainly a top five defence in the NFL. The they've got the best tight have. end in the NFL. <laughs> they don't quite have the best tight end in the NFL. But the, yeah, you were right when you said I think he's probably the third best. I, I would think the Eagles as receiving weapons are, are pretty good this year. The, the thing that stands out to me with Dak and all. This is something that we can't judge Wentz on yet because I haven't really seen him in this situation. Is the drives, I think, in Pittsburgh last year and the drive before the Rodgers drive in the playoffs last year were just unbelievable. Everything you want in a franchise quarterback and for him to do it as a rookie was was absolutely incredible. And we've not seen any drop-off whatsoever this year in Dak Prescott. And they came into this year with, with Prescott light years ahead of Wentz. So... For all Wentz has been unbelievably good the last two weeks, and I think that he is going to be a really, really good player. Right now, I would take Dak every time over him, and and we'll see whether that changes. If Wentz plays like he has the last two weeks, then absolutely it's back on the table, but it is just two weeks. And I mean, Alex Smith was great for the first four weeks of the season, but I would probably... I I still think Alex Smith's been great the last two weeks of the season. Yeah, he has. He has ultimately, but I'm saying he was a, a... a much higher level in the early weeks of the season. The point I'm making is it's up and down over the year with, with quarterbacks. But if Wentz can sustain this, then it's, yeah, I mean, we are nitpicking here because they are both clearly very, very good. And, and the future of quarterbacking in the NFL looks like it belongs in, in the NFC East. And look, that's really exciting because we have seen a drop. We've seen Carson Palmer out for the season, maybe the rest of his career. We're seeing drop-offs elsewhere. Uh, and uh, Ollie, I know that one of the, your your first down of your three and out was also on young quarterbacks. Yeah, I, I, I want to look at it from probably the the other perspective when we see Brett Hundley come in and uh, only complete a pass to a Green Bay receiver, the longest of which was 17. No Green Bay receiver or anyone that caught a pass went for over uh, 17 yards. If I if I read the this out to to you, four. Completions, seven attempts, 107 yards, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. Uh, you'd be forgiven for thinking that that was a guy that came in at the end of the game uh, when the quarterback had done brilliantly. <laughs> it's your backup that's come in. That's Mitchell Trubisky. That's the entire game for the Chicago Bears. John Fox has which got... Which they won by two touchdowns. Which they won by two <laughs> defensive touchdowns. Eddie Jackson, brilliant. John Fox is playing uh, counter-attacking football like Tony Pulis and parking everyone on the bus. It is, it is disgusting. If I was a Bears fan and I had to go to Soldier Field, one, I'd be very depressed. But two, it, it, I'd want my money back because that is, that, that is rubbish football. Horrible football. Um, so I'm wondering, are these... Offensive coaches and and head coaches, John Fox, I don't know who the offensive coach in Chicago is, but Mike McCarthy in Green Bay, are they stifling their young quarterbacks to try and get a result no matter what? Run the ball and, and not trust their young guys to make plays. Carson Wentz last year was trusted to make plays. He's tr- been trusted to make plays this year. Deshaun Watson this season has been amazing because he was trusted to make plays and he's made those plays. He's made the throws. He's made the runs. Jared Goff, Jared Goff has been has looked okay, but as I know Matt Sherry will agree, he, the, the game plan for him has been a lot of dump-offs to Todd Gurley. Oh. And, and 
he isn't looking. He he isn't looking as good as Carson Wentz is looking. I I think there's there, it's that kind of same argument about head coaches that put a player in too early because they know their own jobs on the line. You're kind of saying are these guys stifling? the future for these quarterbacks because they know their job's on the line. It's like, win no matter what the cost. The Bears don't need to win no matter what the cost. They need to get better as a football team, I think. I I think with... I think the Bears and the Packers are two very different cases. I think Trubisky... uh, I will agree with Ollie if it looks the same in six weeks' time because ultimately, their aims for the season need... Yes, we want to win games and John Fox in particular to try and keep his job, but... They also need to be developing Mitchell Trubisky. And so in four weeks, will he be throwing more passes? In six weeks, will he? And you'd like to see a bit of a curve. I, I thought that Brett Hundley's performance on Sunday and generally the game plan was a damning indictment of Mike McCarthy, a guy who ultimately has always done a great job with quarterbacks. It was like Brett Hundley had arrived on Tuesday in, in, in Green Bay and picked up the playbook then. I mean... At the end of the day, you've invested three years in the guy. Yeah. If he isn't good enough, then get another backup quarterback. You know that Aaron Rodgers is a guy that puts himself at risk a lot. I mean, he does with the way that he plays the game. So you need a good backup quarterback. And and again, maybe it improves. It was Hundley's first start. But I just thought it it really surprised me, to be honest. But maybe it shouldn't surprise me because ultimately that whole offence... It's crap, isn't it? The Green Bay New York Giants offense is has been figured out heavily in the last couple of years, I think. And Aaron Rodgers is just such a transcendent talent that, in spite of that offense, he is able to be amazing. So I think it's different circumstances. I think I I'd also, look at I Chicago think... and say they've I... won most of the games with Trubisky. They've played well with him, so they're doing the right thing, provided the start to develop it. I think the Green Bay situation. Is a real indictment on the coaching but, staff. But I, I actually think that, that to, on that indictment on the coaching staff, the other point to that is that actually you watch the first half versus second half of that Green Bay game, and yes, they didn't capitalise on turnovers, etc., but at least they let Hundley do something. When it was those runs with his legs and people were getting excited about it, they utilised what skill he does have to do something with it. Yeah. The second half, they like did the opposite of what a team should do as somebody grows into a game, which is take the reins off more and actually they chained him down more and made him do less it was bizarre do you know what it was green bay had a have a a tendency when they're a, when they're up in uh, in games to do prevent defense it was prevent offense prevent offense it yeah. was it was Amazing. ridiculous and i i just wish they'd do something a bit like and I, I almost want to punch myself in the face for saying it a bit like bill o'brien has done with deshaun watson and give Watson the team give Hundley the team and see what he can do because otherwise we are going to Green Bay are going to lose every game by a, at least two two scores and that's not especially fun when the, especially when the report was out there that that Rodgers could potentially come back late in the season in the playoffs like you still win now if that's the case if you can just sneak into the playoffs you could go into the playoffs as a wildcard team and if you've got Aaron Rodgers a quarterback, suddenly you're one of the big contenders again. But I think it's not just on the offensive side again. I mean, a couple of interceptions in that game basically saved the defence's bacon. But again, when you want that defence yeah. to step up, it just doesn't because it's talent deficient. And that, to me, is an indictment above the coaching staff level, which is the personnel issues that I and, and you, Ollie, have discussed ad nauseum on this show. And I think... 
there are some huge problems in Green Bay that ultimately is another example of, of just how much the waste and the prime years of one of the best quarterbacks we've ever seen. Right. Shush. Let's move on. Let's take a little break and then we'll go to second down. For the bank. So, uh, let's start with Matt Sherry. Your second down of your three and out, please. My second down of the three and out is how interesting the season this has been in terms of as much as I think New England are going to round into shape, and I can see Pittsburgh have been down on doing it as well. It's the real year of the middle class in the NFL in that I ultimately think that there may not be a really elite team at the moment. The, the three I look at are New England, Pittsburgh and Seattle, who I still always believe in because they're such a mentally strong team. But I don't know about you guys. I, 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 I I've got... Year where I've got, I've got a real problem with the Seahawks thing this week, and this is not good. This was nearly one of mine, but I'm just going to throw it in there quickly. Is that we did these top five power rankings this week, and, and I'll tell you that the, the three or four, the top three that were in almost everybody's were the Steelers, the Eagles, and the Patriots in whatever order they wanted to go. And then what you tended to find was four was the Chiefs in most people, most people still believing in the Chiefs. And then five varied between the Rams, we had a few Vikings. And we had lots of people saying the Seahawks. Now, I'm not saying the Seahawks are a bad football team because they're obviously not. But getting another late win over a team who we may be getting overhyped by because of their win over the Denver Broncos and having to do it by relying on the brilliance of Russell Wilson, not on the brilliance of the coaching. I, Seahawks are not a top five team to me at the moment. I still think they'll See, round I, into I, one, I, I, but I would I not put the, them in the top five. I think they are based on the fact that if I, I think if they went into anywhere, say they went into five, tomorrow, I think Seattle would, would play that game close regardless. And I know that they have been blown out in a couple of playoff games over the last couple of years, but they're such a mentally tough team. And, and when it comes to the playoffs, that is ultimately what matters. It's, look at the Super Bowl last year and and right, you let's, can run let, into let's a, talk about your middle class. Let's talk about that. Let's not get ourselves sidetracked because we've put this format in <laughs> and now I'm getting away from it. So, uh, yeah, I this is the year of the eight and eight. I think we're going to have more eight and eight teams than we've ever had in the history of time, or nine so and seven, I've or seven a, and nine teams. I've got a question for you: How many bad teams are there in the NFL? And starting the AFC, I think there's two bad teams in the AFC, and one of them won't be bad if once Andrew Luck comes back in the Colts. As you say, and then I think you've got literally the Cleveland Browns, who are the rest of the teams can basically beat each other outside of maybe a slight semi-elite who were a little bit above the rest. But to me, they just they just aren't that many bad teams in the NFL this year. And I'm trying to think now about the NFC. So the Giants, so, the 49ers. I mean, and the do you know what? The 49ers are the, the only obvious you know one. Do you know what? I think the, the, the Cardinals without Carson Palmer and the Buccaneers right now. Yeah, absolutely. But then you would look at the Buccaneers and say, well, ultimately you could still back them to win most weeks because they've got a lot of talent. But, I don't think they're outright bad. I think the only outright, outright bad team is, is the 49ers. And even oh, yeah. then, there's an argument that they're at least competitive. So, for me, it's just a year of, of, of... Maybe it's not a year of good football teams so much as it's a year of, well, everybody's kind of clumped together as being average. It was the reason that I was annoyed by Week 7 that the number of games that were went to the favourite was so high because... Actually, we've had to, the one thing that's been really enjoyable this season is that we've not been able to predict where it's going. And actually, 
I, I completely agree. I think it is the, the the problem is is the season of things very much leveling out. But I also think that we might reflect on this season, and we've talked about the Carson Wentz factor and uh, in the Eagles and a few other bits and pieces. But with those aging quarterbacks re- actually genuinely starting to fall off a little bit at this point, maybe I think this is the year that we really look at a year of transition and and a new class of teams coming through. And and I think that's and a new a, class of quarterbacks as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, who are going to be the guys who? separate themselves from this pack of good very good quarterbacks and you could probably put the teams in with them because it'll be the same jump so i think think those ones maybe a transitional season but a positive transitional season we talked about the books being bad and ollie i know that you wanted to talk about that yeah a second down second down i'll get get some audio if we do the show again i'll get it all sounding really good so the, the the hard knocks effect i think the buccaneers have been affected by the the being showcased on TV, um, us us as a as a as a world looking into their organisation and um, pl- almost playing up to it. And I think the the fact that they they have had this incredible am- amount of spotlight on them and Jameis Winston especially, Jameis Winston's got away with it slightly. Now, if you look at his stats, his stats are up compared to the overall yearly stats. Um, uh, overall yearly stats, you know, comparatively. But I don't think James Winston's actually playing that well. Should Dirk Cutter and the entire Buccaneers coaching staff very much be feeling on the hot seat right now? Because I think so. Yeah, without a doubt. And I mean, it's for me, it's a couple of things. It, Dirk Cutter, I said this during with the Hard Knocks chat in the off-season, I, I can't really stand head coaches who were, who were basically... De facto glorified coordinators side of the ball, yeah, and and he is just that. The only way you can get away with it is by doing what Tom has done: is building such a good coaching staff in the other areas that it counters it. So basically, he said to Wade Phillips, "You run the defense." He said to Jim Tressel, "You run special teams. I'll oversee the offense, and I'll have I'll have like a general bigger picture view as well." That's the only way it can work. And with the Buccaneers, I'm not sure Derek Cutter is that guy. I also don't think that Mike Smith's zone defense works in the modern NFL. No. And I look, I look at like Lovey Smith's second coming in the NFL and how it really didn't work in Tampa Bay. And I think, does that work in the modern NFL? You've got to mix it up on defense a lot more. So for all that defense is talented, they're not getting the results that they should because it's predictable. A good quarterback can take it apart. And yeah, I think it's a major failing of the coaching staff. You, you, There's more than enough talent in that team, and we're seeing outright mutiny at the moment, aren't we, with their players? So, well, so this is this is the point I wanted. Start. I was kind of getting to. T.J. Ward is a player who, yes, actually, I agree with him, should be getting more snaps in that defense because he's a better player than Chris Conti. That's fine. And and I think they really like, actually, Justin Evans, their second-year guy, emerging as their free safety. The problem is, and we talked to, uh, about this a little bit with the Patriots and your concerns ahead of the Falcons game, which never showed up because of the Falcons' play calling. Back to that again. But when you're playing that kind of soft zone defense like these guys are, the way that works is if you are going hard at the quarterback, if you have got ends and you can get central penetration and you can get pressure with four. 
And this is not a team that can do that by any stretch of the imagination. Robert Ayers doesn't look like he's working out. Chris Baker was complaining that he wasn't seeing enough of the field, but neither he nor Clinton McDonald are getting pressure up the middle. If I'm Gerald McCoy, I'm livid that I'm (laughs) the rest of that front four because I'm basically putting in all of the work, taking constant double teams, and nobody else is showing up at the moment. And it is a problem that, yes, Kawan Alexander and Avante David, who are both playmaking linebackers, have missed time this season. But that front four is a real, real problem if they're going to run that system that they're running at the moment. Whereas if they had the corners and the, and the, and the right defence to play a tight man defence, then actually they've got a front four which can stop the run and get a little bit of pressure, and it would be fine. But in that scheme, with that front four, it just doesn't work whatsoever. And that's why I think the Buccaneers are a bad team at the moment. Yeah, and I agree. And the, the last three defeats... By five points, by five points, by three points. And the offense will always keep you in the game, but it's that the the mentally fragile defense, the scheme, is just entirely letting them down. And we saw that Mike Smith was didn't cut it as a head coach. Now he's not cutting it as a defensive coach. I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just have to cut him. And uh, and move on. I'm all for that. Right, still to come, we'll be looking forward to Thursday night football. Uh, My second down is uh, the uh, the Twickenham experience this weekend slash the LA Rams. And I can just, this can go out as a rant. Nobody else even needs to get involved in this because I'm aware that I was the only person at Twickenham this weekend. I can't believe the level of negativity from a very small percentage of people we're still getting about Twickenham. The NFL did an amazing job this weekend of really pulling up their socks and making it a much, much better experience than last year for the fans. There was a second tailgate, which had giant screens so you could see what was happening on screen at the first tailgate. The queues were better. The access was better. The food and drink was better. The queuing for that food and drink was better. I understand some people had some problems getting soft drinks and hot drinks, which admit that is something that needs to be sorted longer term if you know, you're going to be having freezing games. But everything about the experience was much better and everything about the stadium is just more conducive with a great atmosphere. And it was an amazing atmosphere. Add on top of that the wonderful tributes Kevin Cadle in the first quarter, which just got the biggest, I mean, the most noise I've ever heard at a game of NFL maybe ever. People really, really giving uh, Big Kev a lot of love, which is fantastic. They added the the shuttle buses on afterwards, which dealt with that problem of the trains. Like I got the the shuttle bus back to Waterloo direct, and it got me there twice as quickly as I got back on the train last year. And people who got the trains said that the queues were a lot short for the train. So everything works out a lot nicer. The game itself, not a great one. On paper, so, sorry, go on. Yeah, on the Twickenham point. Some of the complaints I saw on Twitter and Twitter as well were really not NFL issues in that it was just complaints about getting to the stadium. I mean, that that's just where the stadium well, is. It's, I mean, it's, it's, not it's, just, not like... it's not just where the stadium is, but you've got people going, well, if you're from outside of London, it's harder to get to Twickenham. Yeah, and but I'm saying, you know that yeah, when you no, get a ticket for any of these games, don't that's you? That's not I mean... true if you're coming from... Uh, the southwest, from Wales, from the from Birmingham, from yeah. Manchester, from all of those places, it's actually easier to get to because you're on the right side. However, if you're coming from the northeast, from Yorkshire, of course, it's easier to get to Wembley because it's on the M1. That's ridiculous to use that as a reason. That's based on where you live. If that matters that much <laughs> to you, move. Like if that's really yeah, what okay. matters to you, is the access to the stadium from where you live at home. There was one guy who complained, and I'm sorry for calling out individuals. I won't give a Twitter name or anything. There's one guy that complained that it took him five hours to get home and he lived in the Midlands and then revealed 
that they stayed for an hour in the tailgate watching Red Zone, and then they went, oh, and then the trains were only hourly, so we had to wait quite a while for a train. Well, that's Sunday, he, he everywhere. Went, he went after 11pm. And I went, well, so at least an hour to an hour and a half of your five-hour journey was you standing around drinking beer and watching football. That's not part of the journey. And then you didn't check the train times in advance. How is that anyone's fault but yours? I just... the, the, other, the other thing as well is, I mean, ultimately, it's not like they can build a whole transport infrastructure for one NFL game. I mean, it, it is what it is, isn't it? And it's hey, guess what, guys? White Hart Lane is ludicrously difficult to get to. Yeah. So yeah, in, like, enjoy that. It's going to be much harder than, than, <laughs> than anything that it, we've it's, seen. It's not it's not that bad, but it is not. It's not also easy. There was talk about them building an extra tube station there, an extension off a line, and they haven't done it. So uh, that's going to be interesting to see just how much those people complain about that stadium. But at least their seats will be a bit nice and comfy. So the parking situation—that's that, the one there is negative crazy. with Twickenham. I think isn't. I don't think it's a hugely comfortable stadium to sit in. But I mean, neither is like Old Trafford, for example. I think Wembley is 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 really comfortable, but that's because it's the biggest and. Most, most expensive, the most stadium, everything, yeah, yeah. Newest, and the newest. I mean, and you would hope that that the Tottenham Stadium is is more comfortable as well as a newer stadium, but that's just part. And, part I, and, and what that. I will say, the majority of feedback I've seen has been positive on what the improvements are. I just think there are some people. There's one guy who really came at us last year on Twitter and was really negative. And everything we tweeted, every individual tweet from my individual accounts, he attacked everyone who said they didn't like it. He joined in on them. He started doing that again this weekend, and I tweeted the guy saying, did you actually go to the game this weekend? And he completely ignored me. And I don't think he did. So how can you comment on it? Right, I'm done with that. Can I'm, I, do- I'm done I, with Twickenham. Can I quickly say, I think no. pe- pe- <laughs> people are, are they're comparing it to the Wembley experience. It's a totally different experience. And if you want authenticity, if you want it to feel more like a game in the States, like a game at, uh, in Philadelphia, like an old stadium like that, that's Twickenham, and it, I think that's where it works. Right, and for, just very quickly on the LA Rams, I had them as my fifth team in my power rankings right now. I am fully buying in on their defence. I'm fully buying in on when Mark Barron's fit with a play that they get out of the linebackers. They're so quick, and that it really complements what they're doing, and Wade Phillips mixing in the difference between getting pressure with the front four and the blitz packages. The offence is working so well. The offensive line was phenomenal on Sunday. One of the best offensive line performances I've seen in person in a long time and not just in protection but old men like Andrew Whitworth and Roger Saffold getting up the field, making blocks at the second level for both Todd Gurley and also for the for the wide receivers and yes to an extent they're hiding Jared Goff that's fine. It's working I think the Rams are a playoff team this year Right, we are going really stupidly long even though the point of this format was to be quick So, third down uh, Ollie Hunter third and short please yeah, and I need a drop for this. Uh, I don't know which one it's going to be, but let's see, let's see what can happen. Uh, oh, I've actually got that one ready somewhere. Ah! Kick watch. Now, kicking. I know it's not. The, <laughs> I know it's now kicking. It's not the sexiest of subjects to get into, but we've seen so many games this year decided. In overtime with kicks, and we'll see it every year, but uh, games decided before overtime with kicks, games within a kick, kickers having monster games, the kicking um, position. Uh, we saw this year uh, Morton Anderson get into the super, into the Hall of Fame as a kicker, the first, uh, offense, first special teams guy to do so. The amount of kickers that have gone out injured 
Dan Bailey did it last week. Jeff, was it Heard? Jeff Heath. Heath. Jeff Heath coming in. Some and- great, uh, some great uh, uh, points being. Uh, Jeff Heath was just amazing. He was, was great. It was what really a hero! If we were doing our gold, silver, bronze, maybe we should do that for this. Uh, if we we're doing, stop our adding gold, more. <laughs> yeah, maybe if, if we were doing our gold, silver, bronze, he would be in it. But he was, he was great. But. Um, uh, the amount of kickers that are going out and then you've got Mike Nugent coming in for Dallas. Uh, Nick Folk was out for for the, the Bucks and uh, Caleb Sturgis has gone out for the Eagles. Jake Elliott has come in and he's become a cult hero. Kicking has become such a, a, an integral... A weird thing this year, isn't it? It's a, a really integral part and the amount of kickers going down and the kicking carousel... Um, I don't know whether there's just a point to this. I just wanted to raise it that it's far more. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. I just wanted to raise it. It's far more important. It's all about kicking. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Bass, he may not get his job back. I think Seabass will get his job back, but then I think they've actually got a tradable asset in uh, in the Italian. Bizarre. Tavecchio, yeah. But uh, there we go. Sorry, there we go. It was a quick one, so that's why it was my third down. I think I fell short of the line. On fourth, I'd probably go for it if I was the Falcons. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to need to punt away, I think, mate, based on that performance. Hey! Uh, (laughs) uh, Matt Sherry. (laughs) I think mine is something we've kind of gone over with a lot of the other ones, in that the NFL has a head coach problem. It's just a... It's just dreadful. And, I mean, we it, this year might be a bad time to do it because I think we've got two really good ones who've come in, in Sean McDermott and Sean McVeigh and a couple of others who have the potential to be good. But, like we mentioned, Dave Cotter and, and even, like, I think we'll get on to John Harbaugh later on, who's been a very good head coach and I think will be again elsewhere. But Mike McCarthy. He, he's not playing with McCarthy. But I think ultimately, and I'm about to write this column after we've done this podcast for the next magazine, so I'm going to look into it further. But I reckon if you rewound the clock back to 1990 or somewhere around that point, I'm going to pick a random week within that, and I'm going to look at the head coaches and the head coaching matchups in a given week. And I reckon there was probably, I'm thinking Jimmy Johnson, Don Shuler, like I'm thinking maybe six, seven, eight guys who were Hall of Fame head coaches or maybe people like Don Coriel who was a bit of an innovator and a real kind of guy who should be in the Hall of Fame. So I'm, I'm interested to see how many guys were Hall of Famers and fringe Hall of Famers. And I'm going to ask you two guys a question now. Of the 32 head coaches in the NFL, how many you'll get in the Hall of Fame? Right, so Bill I think there's I think there's one. You, guaranteed. You, you, with Pete Carroll as a fringe possibility. If he has some more good years. And Andy Reid is the other potential if they ever win a Super Bowl. I think if John Harbaugh won a couple more Super Bowls over his career, there's potential there. I think it would need, there needs to be more to his career, but I think he's a guy who is in the conversation longer term. And also there's younger guys who it's far, you know, Sean McVay's 30 and already coaching in the NFL. So there's potential there, but it's far too early to say. Also potentially he's not coaching at 33, isn't that? Yeah, exactly. But the point I would make is... I think if Pete Carroll wins one, there's a question there, a conversation there. I I think Carroll's the the second guy who has a chance. But the point I'm making is that, I reckon even in 1990, maybe not with Jimmy Johnson because that was at the start of their run, but there were there were multiple coaches where you'd have been able to look at the start of that year and say, he'll get in the Hall of Fame. He will, he will, he will, he will, he will. Now it's like complete dumpster fire, isn't it? Yeah, basically. Basically. So Pretty that horrendous. Was, that was a great one. I think you made uh, your first down there, mate. Yeah. 
just, just. Thanks, mate. I think, I think Sherry's made the first down and more. And change. Well done, buddy. That was we Thanks. basically Sherry was like Carson Wentz in that rush running play. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was. <laughs> the pocket is collapsing. Four men around him. The guy is down. Have you heard? But the, there he goes. Have, have you heard the Merrill Reese call of that? Yeah, the, it's the, outstanding. Yeah, Mer- Merrill Reese's call. Who's the brilliant long? In fact, I might try and get Merrill Reese on the show this year if the Eagles keep playing well because he's the long-term play-by-play caller for the Philadelphia Eagles and one of the very best in the game. But he literally goes, "Oh, they've got him." He's escaped. He's, he, like, but then, he genuinely go like he's genuinely like oh they've got him. Like he uh, he says they're going to need however many yards for first down. Oh the pockets collapsing. They're coming in. Carson no though they've got him. Oh wait he's escaped. And the co-commentator literally goes I thought you said they had him. Yeah. <laughs> and he just goes they did. <laughs> they did. I don't know how he got out. Oh it's it's genuinely really funny and well worth a listen. Um. I can't, it's very difficult to do mine in short form. So I'm just going to put it simply. Uh, the Steelers' performances over the last two weeks have me back buying into Pittsburgh like I was preseason. Uh, I, they had a rough patch, but it's all about the defensive side of the ball right now. And I know that Martavis Bryant is being a whingy little so-and-so. And actually, there's, I think, I still think Martavis Bryant, I think he's a tradable asset even with the issues he has in the locker well, room because... Without doubt. Because Ju- he, I think he's a, he's a better wide receiver than Juju Smith-Schuster. Ben Roethlisberger just doesn't have the deep ball anymore to, I, I, to get Martavis Ma- Ma- Bryant in the game. I think Martavis Bryant has the talent to be the best wide receiver in the NFL. I think that's overstating it. But he is I insanely talented. I, I think he has the talent to be a number one receiver. I don't know about the best receiver in the NFL when you can when you stack him up against guys who have more to their game than him, like the Julio Joneses of the world. But See, I think, and the Antonio Browns. Be another but... Julio Jones. I really do in terms of the the everything that he offers in terms of physicality, speed, deep throw. I think he could be awesome. But the defensive side of the ball, Joe Hayden has been unbelievable this year he's raised the game of Artie Burns as well they finally got some pass rush with Bud Dupree and TJ Watt who's just exploded yep. out of the gates I love their front three in Cam Hayward Javon Hargrave and Stefan Tuitt they've got great speed at linebacker as well Jesse they've, is one of my favourite players they've got a defence which would carry most teams to the playoffs and deep into the playoffs and then on the other side of the ball they've got Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown you know, yes the offence hasn't still quite got there yet but you know, I still think there's time for them to figure it out. And actually, I, we don't need to say it again, Matt Sherry, so you don't need to say it again, so I'm stopping you from saying it. Big Ben might be the one thing that holds this team back longer term from a Super Bowl. But the Steelers' defence is... Go and watch that game this weekend. They were phenomenal. The only question I'd ask <laughs> on the defence is, can they be that good against an elite quarterback? Yes. And that's it. I believe that it. That isn't a perfect matchup. I believe like it. I'm just looking at the 1990 season, and... Wow, the, the 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 divisions are all over the place. There's <laughs> different teams. It's the Phoenix a, Cardinals. Yeah, the... the Atlanta Falcons are in the NFC West. The AFC West has the Seattle Seahawks in. Um, there's the Los Angeles Raiders. This is amazing. Uh, Ollie just discovering NFL history, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> right Brilliant. before your ears. <laughs> this is this is great. <laughs> I hope you. I want you to pick week seven of uh, 1990. In fact, why don't you go to week seven, 1987, Matt Sherry? Because then you're going exactly 30 years into the past. Yeah, I could do. It's I mean, not 30 uh, years, another, is it? Another guy I forgot was Joe yeah, Gibbs, Bill Parcells. Yeah, that's why I said 87, it's... mate. Oh, 87. Yeah, I thought you said. Sorry, mate. Sorry. It's not, it just doesn't listen. Just uh, doesn't listen. Just learning that the divisions used to be different. What's going I on? Knew that, I knew that they used to be different, but to see it 
right before your eyes is interesting. Right, it's been... John Coriel retired in 1986. <laughs> I wanted him to be one of my examples, so I might go to 86. Fine, right. Well, yeah. Good for you. Right, let's, uh, <laughs> let's crack on and let's get Ben Mortimer on the phone. Right, let's take a look forwards to Thursday night football now, but before we do that... We're going to get on one of the premier Raisin, Raisin fans, Raven fans in the UK. I know they're doing badly, but to call them a bunch of Raisins is out of order. It's been a, it's been a difficult morning. Uh, one of the premier Ravens fans in the UK as well as the head of Touchdown Trips and MVP Travel. Ben Mortimer joins us on the line now. Hello, Ben. How's it going? Good day, Well, OK, thanks. How are you? Yeah, very well, mate. Very well indeed. Thank you. And look, we're going to talk, have to talk about your Ravens, get it right eventually, mm-hmm. uh, in a moment, but... I don't know, me, Matt and Ollie have been talking about this off air, but it's now less than 10 days before we go away. And I am insanely excited for our, our tour and all the extra little bits that are being planned around it. I, I genuinely can't wait. Yeah, no, it, it's really crept up, hasn't it? Um, so we're really close. It's just over a week. I think still we meet the initial guys that are coming into the Heathrow uh, Hotel the night before for a beer or two and then uh, an early start on the Saturday the 4th to fly out to Houston but yeah it's going to be it's all come together nicely the plan's coming together and actually the games themselves are kind of panning out really nicely as well because I think we've got uh, three games from an NFL perspective where they all look like they could be quite tight games in terms of uh, the the teams that are playing uh, but also great stadiums great locations I'm dead excited about being in New Orleans I was talking to somebody about that uh, Greg Rosenthal from around the NFL the other day about New Orleans and he was giving us a recommendation of a few bars we could go to mm-hmm. I'm also particularly excited because on the first night we get there we're going to karaoke and yeah. uh, it was my birthday last week and we had uh, a little party at my uh, at my bar in the back garden and Ollie, at around four in the morning, decided to start belting out some tunes from behind oh, the yeah. bar. I forgot and about that. I completely forgot what a cracking set of pipes Ollie's <laughs> got. And, we, and it's just, I think it's just going to be really, really good fun. Four games with the college game as well. Five games with the high school game. And, and a great group of people coming. I, I, I genuinely cannot wait, Ben. No, neither can I. It's been really good putting it together and also talking to the people that are coming on the tour. So I think everyone's going to get on. Um, Hopefully they will because it's 10 nights together. And uh, (laughs) I think the first night will be a good icebreaker. I was, we were umming and ahhing, weren't we, a bit about the karaoke, but I think uh, it'll, be, it'll be good. And if we've got you know, some, some way of recording a bit of it, maybe we can put it on Twitter or something. I don't know. Um, but uh, uh, I think that'll be a good start. And then we've got the game on, on the Sunday with the, with the Texans. And then there's a stadium tour on Monday for those that want to go and see NRG Stadium. And we've got a few people that would like to do that. So um, we'll, we'll get on the It is. On the well, field. they can go and see where Will stole Tom Brady's uh, jersey. <laughs> Yeah, that might be. <laughs> if if you've never done a stadium tour before, it is so worth doing one. It, it's really genuinely massively worth your time. Um, but uh, yeah, I I kind of I like the idea that if if there's a group that are going on the stadium tour, one of maybe me or Ollie goes with them, or you go with them, and then we take a second group out for the Space Centre or a tour of yeah, Houston, do yeah, something a bit different, like, kind of mix it up a bit. And then we'll all meet in the evening and have some beer and watch the Monday night game. What is the Monday night game that week? Um, you've got me on the spot there. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, that is that is dreadful I, I of me. It, I do apologise. I put it on the itinerary, but I can't remember who's playing. It's it's not a bad one, I don't think. Um, I'll have to look Packers it up. Steelers? I think it's Packers Lions. Packers Lions, great game. Yeah, you go. Well, it won't is that, be is that? without Rogers, but what yeah, it's Packers Lions. There we yeah, go. Packers Lions. There uh, you go. In Lambo, so there's a small well, chance. It's at Lambo, so there's a chance. Um, but uh, <laughs> there's no chance. 
there's, there's a chance. I, te- um, I tell you what, it's good, what's going to be more enjoyable than anything else is watching a Packers game with Ollie Hunter is one of the most emotionally roller coastery type experiences <laughs> you can ever have in your life. So it's going to be a joy. I think we've got another couple of Packers fans with us as well on the tour. I think um, oh, I have to check on that. But so so yeah, we'll. Uh, You'll have some support on that, and um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a tough one, isn't it? Losing, I mean, it's uh, I, I can't uh, I can't remember a team taking such a sort of sudden dramatic downturn in fortunes as the Packers did last week. Um, from a, from a personal level, I know you never talk about fantasy teams, but he was my fantasy quarterback, and I was pretty pretty devastated to lose Aaron Rodgers. So, I, know I know you, you don't care, but I, no, I, I care, I care. I, yeah, I, I care about your fantasy team, Ben. I just don't care about Ollie's. That's fair. Well, to, to to cheer you both up, Carson Wentz was on my bench, so that was oh, okay. get out, mate. That is t- yeah. that is very upsetting. That is shocking. very very shocking. Uh, and, and listen. The fact is, we've we've already been questioned about this on Twitter, about whether or not we're going to do a tour in 2018. What would have to go wrong, Ben, for us to not do a tour in 2018? Just how bad do we have to behave for you to say, I'm not doing this again? Uh, there are... There are um... I, I have a high tolerance for bad behaviour, so we should be okay. I mean, you can you're going to replay this, aren't you, in two weeks? But I think uh, I, I think there's a fairly good chance that we'll look at 2018 nice and early. But but we'll 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 wait. You know, we'll wait till everything comes out next year. But um, you know, as far as the schedule goes, but I think um, I think we'd like to make this an annual thing, wouldn't we? So uh, I'd love to. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I I think there are people who missed out this year because you know we, we put it together nice and early and lo- let people know but for for people it is you know a big expense but it's something that actually if you save just a couple of hundred quid a month to one mm-hmm. side yeah. to go on a dream trip which it does i think it is even though you're having to spend 10 days with me and ollie it's a yeah. dream trip for everything apart from that uh i yeah i think it's well worth it and so if we do it again next year which hopefully we will do hopefully there'll be plenty of the people listening who have missed out this year who'll come along because uh yeah the more fans we get along the uh, more fun it's going to be the more the merrier quite literally yeah i think it could build up a bit of a status couldn't it on the on the american side as well we've got really sort of positive reaction from everyone we've been talking to about you know just sort of meeting up and, and we've got some happy hour bars in each city you know because we've got a welcome happy hour in new orleans on the on the tuesday night um there's a a place in uh, Baton Rouge that um, wants us to stop by um, before the LSU game and things like that. And, and then that will be, I mean, the LSU sort of tailgating experience will just be, uh, uh, I think they're all going to be really good, but that will be a slightly different thing because it's, they're, they're just mental in, in Baton <laughs> Rouge. So, um, and the foods, um, you know, I've been looking at places we can go eat and things like that. And it's just a bad idea before lunch to, to look at all these, you know, <laughs> menus in these bars. Um, Right, so, I, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you talk about the Ravens, Ben. Yeah. Thursday night football. Now, I, we talked about this on the TalkSport 2, the NFL show with Nat last night, and I kind of keep convincing myself either way on this game because I don't think the Dolphins getting one quarter of production out of Matt Moore and having some ridiculous comeback is one thing. Putting it together over four quarters... Mm. Giving and, and a lot of people are looking at the fact that uh, the uh, that they um, the Vikings and particularly that one big run kind of against the Ravens got the run game going, but it felt like it was kind of gradually as the game went on. I'm mm. feeling Brandon Williams four or five more days to get himself a bit more healthy mm. will be able to perform through four quarters. Jay Ajayi is very very streaky. I think mm-hmm. if you can stop the run game, your vanilla offense might just only have to score like fourteen to seventeen points and they'll be fine. 
Yeah, um, and that's... I mean, five Justin Tucker field goals would probably do it, <laughs> wouldn't it? Um, but I, uh, yeah, I, I, I think um, they're not exactly setting the world on fire themselves, the Dolphins. I mean, having watched them in, in person at Wembley, it wasn't great. Um, I don't know why they don't run a Jai more when they get to sort of, you know, within the red zone, and especially when it gets to the five-yard line. Um, but um, it's, I, I think Brandon does make a big difference to the Ravens. Rundy. I mean, without him, it was a shocking drop off on 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 um, on the effectiveness of, of uh, stopping the run. Um, the secondary, ironically, is is about the strongest part of the defense anyway. Uh, I'd have felt probably more comfortable going against Jay Cutler than Matt Moore um, this week. But um, yeah, I think it's not going to be. I, I saw your tweet about the Thursday night games being better than the Sunday night games. This could be a dramatic reversal. But then there's also <laughs> sort of as a classic setup for it could be an amazing game. You know, you never know. I mean, it's, it's unlikely. I think it's going to be, it's going to be a stretch to be a good game, but um, it's, it's one that is winnable for the Ravens, but I think their confidence is in such decline. Uh, the offense is honestly, the, I mean, on Sunday, I really can't think of too many less effective Ravens offenses in the time I've been watching them since, you know, the early 2000s. And, and they've had some bad ones. I mean, they've had, you know, Stoney Case and, and Kyle Bowler and people like that. Um, but I think, you know, the injury is an undoubtedly a factor, um, but it's also combined with the fact that um, yeah, Flacco really doesn't look particularly interested anymore. Um, well, this is, this sure is a question for you, Ben. I, I don't want to be too negative, but say the Ravens lose on Thursday night and it starts to look like the AFC North is is kind of slipping away from your potential grasp. Is there some thought? Flacco's only getting paid $12 million next year. His contract was heavily, heavily front-loaded. If you're picking in the top half, top 10 of the draft, that you start to think to yourself, it's quarterback of the future time. Uh, I think that they have to be at that point um, very soon. If not, I, I'm not sure that, I mean, since the Super Bowl, there's been a sort of, uh, certainly a downturn, and the contract there's been a downturn in his in his uh, productivity and his play. Um, and I do question um, watching on a weekly basis the the motivation as well. Uh, I don't think he doesn't necessarily. I don't think he doesn't care. Um, but I mean, there, there, it's starting from the head coach down. There are severe um, um, time management issues, urgency issues. Our two minute drill may be one of the worst in the NFL, if not the worst. Um, even towards the end of the game on Sunday, there was, you know, um, it's, it's like the, there was no awareness as to uh, what the task in hand was, if they even want to try an onside kick and, and get the ball back and try and win the game. So uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's. I, I think it's getting to the point where quarterback of the future time is required. And I think that, you know, certainly if it keeps going the way it's going, I'd be very surprised if Harbour is, is there again next year because, you know, Bichotti made a similar call when, um, Billick was kind of at the end of his tenure, and, and I think when you see that the team it really just don't have a lack, uh, have any sort of urgency or, or desire showing on the field like it was on Sunday, that's that's the, the, the start at the end for a head coach when it looks like the message not, might not be working anymore as well. So um, I think there, there could be seismic shifts um, this off season for the Ravens. My my, my feeling on it, Ben, is is the Flacco is effectively uh, just a slightly worse version of what he's been throughout his career, except for that one playoff run. But uh, on Harbour, I've always said on this show that I think he, to me, is probably the second or third best coach in the NFL. But I look at it at the moment as a situation where it's just gotten a little bit stale and maybe maybe both parties would benefit. Because I think John Harbour goes to another NFL team and, 
and probably continues to have a successful career. But do you think it just almost needs a, a new bit of Im- impetus to, to to stop something that's basically gone stale? Yeah, I think it, I think it does. And and he was the right guy to come in at that time after. Uh, you needed a slightly more authoritarian figure with a bit more structure than Billick used to impose. And Billick was a bit more, you know, kind of letting the veterans take over the team. And they called his uh, training camp cramp, cramp, camp cream puff. Um, now, obviously, <laughs> Harbour's had a slightly harder version of training camp and we've lost about six players before the season starts. So um, I think that, uh, you know, it, it, I think it's just a, a fresh face, a fresh approach is sometimes needed. I think it's been quoted that, you know, the... Um, the most that an NFL can, uh, NFL head coach can expect to enjoy is sort of a ten-year tenure before things start getting stale and going south. And uh, and he's he's in his tenth season, so uh, I, I think that's just the um, you know, the, the way it, 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 it probably needs to go for this organisation. And you know, Bichot is not afraid to to make those calls, but he's also very loyal. So I think you know he'd be the one that would be able to evaluate at the end of the season, um, you know, the, the best way forward and make that call. Yeah, I mean, I guess is the is the just a slight argument though with just the amount of injuries that you did have that if you if you kind of extrapolate that onto any other team in the NFL that maybe they'd be enduring similar struggles as well. Yeah, you, you could. And you also have to. I mean, you, you have to question as well. This is two years in a row where they've been horrendously affected and had and had guys go down all over the place. And well, when does it stop being coincidence? And when when is there a question mark over the sort of the the, the, the conditioning practices, you know, the strength and conditioning coaches and things like that as to what is actually going on um, away from the um, away from the games and in, in practice that uh, is leading to so many people dropping. That's, I mean, some people some things you can't avoid, but um, you know, it does seem that. Some teams tend to remain healthier than others, and I'm not sure whether there's, you know, whether I'm being conspiracy theorist here or what. But uh, it's 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 frustrating, and, uh, and so um, yeah, I don't know. But uh, I think I think it, it's it's from gauging the fan base, um, you know, there's there's a lot of disillusionment, and and I think you have to sort of temper that with with remembering, yeah, they've got two Super Bowls in in 13 years or whatever it was. Um, And, you know, the Ravens are one of the more successful franchises. You have to be, to an extent, careful for what you wish for. Um, But I think that, um, you know, it it does also have one of the better front office combos in in, in Ozzy and and Eric DaCosta. And and it is still a very well-run organization. So I think that the the fear of, of... Dropping into an abyss of nothingness if they got rid of Harbour is is uh, is not really justified. I think I think the, the the change is needed sooner rather than later. Look, Matt Sherry doesn't understand any of that because he's both a Patriots and a United fan, so he doesn't understand. Uh, Leeds in, in his yeah, exactly. Sheffield United. Yep, Sheffield United. Newcastle United. United. <laughs> no, none of these. Oxford two. United. I'd love it was Oxford United. Great. I mean, such a weird choice. Oh, here he goes. No, 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 no. Shut up, Matt. You are in your early to mid-twenties. You do not understand sporting pain. He's from Hartlepool. Why is he supporting Man United? Get out. Uh, Right, so let's pick this game because I am slightly concerned that the Dolphins' defence is a little too legit for the 17 to 20 points that that the Ravens will need. It is home on a Thursday night, though. I do tend to pick the home team. I'm, I'm just kind of tempted to pick Ravens because Ben's on the phone and then actually pick Miami on, on, online and just never tell him it's going to happen. Oh, that's <laughs> I'll see it. I'll see it. If, 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 if you make your gridiron picks Miami, I will see it. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the Miami Dolphins. I'm sorry. Mm, okay. Ben, I'm taking I'm def- Ravens. I'm definitely taking the Ravens. I think they'll, yeah. I think they'll win this. 
I will then, of course, take the Ravens um, because I can't really not take the Ravens on um, in, in public, can I? So I, I will, I will, <laughs> I will take, I will take the Ravens, and I'll say they will actually uh, crazily show up and uh, win by fourteen points. Beautiful. I absolutely love that. Look, Ben uh, Mortimer, touchdown trips. As you well know, you need to check them out online, Facebook, Twitter, absolutely everywhere because touchdown trips. And uh, the feedback we're getting from people who've been out with trips on them this year has been astounding. So brilliant to chat with Ben, as always. And Ben, we will see you in about eight or nine days' time. Uh, uh, do we need to send Ollie to the airport the night before to uh, to start showing these guys a good time early? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we'll be there from sort of six o'clock the previous evening. So you just show up at our hotel and... Um, just let Ollie drink bar. all the way through. Hotel bars tend to stay open all night long, Ollie, so... I think this one is. And they start serving breakfast from 4am. I've oh. checked. So, uh, I love yeah, breakfast. Uh, as, long as, as long as you're there in the departures, uh, the departures area, uh, we'll all uh, we'll get together, go to the bar and, uh, and, and maintain that uh, for the next 10 days. Beautiful stuff. You're in a, in a couple of weeks, Ben. Um, I'm heading out next Wednesday, but on a on a different schedule to you guys at the start. So Nobody I'll cares, Matt Sherry. Nobody cares. <laughs> Everyone cares about what we're doing on the tour. Uh, <laughs> look, brilliant stuff. Thank you to you, Ben Mortimer. That kind of wraps up our show. So thank you to Matt Sherry. Thank you to Ollie Hunter. Ollie, any final thoughts? Uh, no. Clearly. Uh, so thank you very much for listening, as always. We'll be back with a preview of week eight over the weekend. You've been listening to The Gridiron Show. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs>